This parsha is Parshat Shmot, and we're going to learn about the story that right in the beginning, start with source number one, number three, page three, source number one. Go ahead. The problem of the Egyptians. A new king arose over Egypt who did not know about Joseph. He said to his people, the nation of the children of Israel are more numerous and stronger than we are. Get ready. Let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they increase. And when a war befalls us, they will join our enemies and wage war against us and depart from the land. So the, the new king, that's all discussion. Was it a new king? Was it a, was a, a new king? But he did not know Joseph. It means he didn't want to know the story. He didn't want to remember what, happened, what the Jews did, what Joseph did for Egypt. He was busy with something. He's, what he said, he says the Jewish people are becoming the movers and the shakers of the country. They really took over the country. And they, and they will, when a moment will come that the enemy will come to attack the Jewish people, they attack Egypt, the Jews will join the enemy. That's called a fifth column. It's a column that lives among us and joins the enemy in the right moment. They get, they get the order. Says the, the, it says that that's what he is afraid. Therefore, we need to find a solution of what to do with them, how to, how to reduce the numbers. The Jewish people becoming very multiple, a lot. This is like what we feel with every day. Absolutely. This paragraph from Spanish 4, 30s, now, I You're right. I mean, what we see here is then the anti Semitic arguments didn't start last week. They are already in Egypt, the same exact argument. Yes, you're right. Go ahead. The first solution, hard labor. The Egyptians appointed tax collectors over the Israelites to afflict them with their burdens, and the Israelites built storage cities for Pharaoh, namely Pithom and Ramses. But as much as the Egyptians afflicted the Israelites, uh, so did they multiply, and so did they gain strength. And the Egyptians were disgusted with the children of Israel. The Egyptians enslaved the Israelites with backbreaking labor. They embittered their lives with hard labor, with clay and with bricks, and with all kinds of labor in the fields. All the work that they made them do was crushing labor. Mr. Say, in the beginning, they tried to do it without labor. Basically, separating the men from the women. Uh, kind of not to have children. But what happened? They more than made service to the Jews. The Jews became bigger, larger. As the Medrash says, how much... How, how many kids was a, a woman giving birth in one shot? In one birth? More than six. Six in one shot. Really? Yeah. That's what Rashi says. Common? Very common at that time, yes. Now you read it on the news, six, seven, right? Go on, in the, on, 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 online, you'll see so many over the years. And they, they make articles. Look what the, the, the six kids were born 20 years ago. How they look now and so on. Yes. Right? Then if today it could happen, it could happen there too. What do you think? The same, the, the same God on the world now and will then. And God did it. There is a secret. The more they tortured the Jews, the more children they had. Even within the tribes themselves, the tribes that were most tortured had more children. They were the most numbered. The highest number. For example, the Levites was the smallest tribe in the Jewish people. Why? Because the Levites were never suffered from the hard labor. Because in Egypt, there was a certain level of respect to priests. Who established this level of respect to priests? Joseph. Joseph, when he gave out bread, to, when there was no bread, when there was a famine, everybody had to sell, give, pay for the bread. 
the only one who didn't have to pay for the bread was the priest. And Joseph, by establishing the concept that priests get special treatment, trickled down all the way when the Jews had to go to, to work in Egypt in harsh labor. Moses and Aaron themselves were not suffering from hard labor because they were priests. They were from the tribe of Levi. That they were never a part of it. Then the tribe of Levi was the smallest tribe because if you didn't suffer, there is no pain, no gain. Then all the more they suffered, how we know which tribe suffered the most? By the numbers. Whoever had the most numbers. Later in the, in the desert, the, the God told Moses to count the Jewish people. The tribes who have the highest numbers, they are the tribes who suffer the most. Then it was literally no pain, no gain. It was measure for measure, as you're going to learn later. The more we suffered, the more God gave us success in having children, making us bigger. So I have a question, then. There were more children, but if there was an issue with getting food... No, that, at that point, at that point, there was that no. Point. That was not a problem. For there was no famine at that time. Okay. No, that was not a problem. The second solution. It so didn't work. They became more. He tried another solution. The king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua. He said, "When you are delivering the Hebrew woman on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live." He told them. See, he called the, uh, the, the, um, the midwives and he told them, kill the baby when he was born. If it's a boy, kill him right away. The girl, let him leave. More than, more than just let him leave. We will raise the girls our way. We'll control them. The boys they don't want around. They did not know the Judaism will go by the, by the, by the mother. Then really you can continue the Jewish people without any Jewish boy. It's the Jewish girls who are making the difference. Continue Rashi. Then Yocheved, who is Shifra and Pua? Rashi takes and said, it's not, there is no such name as Shifra and Pua. There are certain people in the Bible that we know. Who are they? Yocheved was, who is Yocheved? Moses' mother. That was Yocheved. Continue, and Pua, who is Pua? Pua, this is Miriam. She is called Pua because she cooed, Pua, and talked to the newborn infant in the manner of a woman who sued a crying infant. Then she was the, uh, Moses' sister, a young girl, but she helped the mother in delivering the babies. That's what Rashi says. Rashi doesn't, take, doesn't believe that there is a Shifra in a Pua. He says Shifra in Pua is just a name, as a nickname. You know, in, it was in, in, throughout history, Pharaoh. Every king was called Pharaoh. You understand? Like the, the, um, the popes gave, gave themselves names, not the, not the real name. Like famous uh, actors and uh, stars and everything. In that time, was you were named after your job. That the job was Shifra, you called her Shifra. Shai was poor, they called poor. It doesn't mean that was the real, what's the real, real name? Yochevet and Miriam. That's what Rashi says. Did the king know that Shifra and Pua were Jewish? Yes, absolutely. He knew, he found, they had a good uh, um, intelligent uh, community. They found out, they, he, called, he called the leaders, the, the, he called, and that's going to be the whole discussion about it. He called them, he knew they're Jewish, and he says, I want you. He wanted to do it in a nice way. He doesn't want to make big noise. You do the job for me. Kill the boys and finish. Nobody should know. And in essence, they cannot say no. 
It's, it's a dictatorship. Then that's he called them, and he wanted, but he wanted to have his end clean. He didn't say anything. He didn't do anything. He called them to his private office, told them something in secret. They cannot go out and publicize it. Just do the job. I have a question then. Sure. Back to when you said they could, if they killed the boys, it goes by the mother, whether you're yeah. Jewish. Was that a result of this kind of behavior? I don't know. It's so written, it's written in the Torah. Well, you see it already from the beginning. Abraham tried to marry somebody from his family. He married his niece. Um, Isaac married his first cousin. Jacob married his cousins. Right? That the idea of marrying within the family, within uh, the woman should be Jewish, was already before, not to the extent. But if it was because of this, I don't know for the reasons of God. It's not written at the Torah that the reason why it goes after the mother is because of this story. But it's a good thought, maybe. I just wondered where Maybe. that came from then. That Maybe. It, no, it's in it general, it explains more than the mother has the biggest influence on the child that is very little. During the pregnancy and the, and the first few years. And the child is, or is in the first seven years, eight years. That's the whole personality of the child, what he believes, or what he behaves, what he, what, who he is. The biggest influence is the mother. Later, it's already too late. You can, you can educate him, you can brainwash him, but who he is, is when he's, when he's young, very young. That's what counts the most. And that's the, the end of the mother. Okay. Then we want to continue. The midwives, the midwives do, not do not obey. obey. The midwives, however, feared God, and they did not do what the king of Egypt had told them, and they kept the boys alive. The king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing, allowing the boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They have the skills of a midwife, and before the midwife has even arrived, they've already given birth. God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. It was because the midwives feared God that he made houses for them. Okay, the king summoned them. He saw nothing is happening. The, kids, the people have babies. He says, what's going on? They told him, oh, you don't understand. The Jewish women, they don't need midwives. Everyone is a midwife. They do it themselves. We are just like there for emergencies. We are not there for... He accepted the argument. And he said, and God rewarded the, the midwives, took a risk, a huge risk. Because you, you're going against Pharaoh, you can be, you can be killed. And, they, and they, they, they were ready to die, so to speak, but not to touch the Jewish babies. And God rewarded them, and he made for them, for them houses. Now Rashi comes and says, what is the houses that he made for them? What, what exactly he made for them? You want to read? Mm-hmm. Rashi. They had the skills of a midwife. This means that they are skill, as skillful as midwives. Our rabbis, however, interpreted it to mean that they are compared to beasts of the field, which do not require midwives. You see... It's written, the word for this, because they are midwives, is written in Hebrew, Ki Chayot Eina. Chayot, the last line on this, on, the, on, the, on page number four in Hebrew. Page number four in the bottom. You see, Ki Chayot Eina. Chayot could mean animals. That he says, or the Talmud says, she, they told them they're like animals. Animals don't have midwives, right? They give birth. Somehow they survive. The Jewish women were so tough 
they were able to give birth by themselves. <laughs> yeah, it's a different world than today, obviously. Yeah, when I teach boy and men, it's a little easier to go through this thing. <laughs> um, and where is the example that they are like a, a, a compared to animals? You remember last week we learned about that in the in the in the Bible, Jacob when he blessed the the, the tribes, he compared them to certain animals. Benjamin is like a like a wolf. In Judah is like a lion. That's what Rashi is quoting. Go ahead, continue. Where are they compared to beasts? A lion cub, a wolf who devours, the firstborn of his ox, a swift gazelle. That's from different places in the Bible. Go ahead. And whoever was not compared to a beast as above was included by scriptures in the expression, and he blessed them. Scripture states further, what is your mother? A lioness. Basically, the Jewish people all over the Bible are compared to many animals. Then it's not so why that it says Rashi wants to say that the Jewish people in Egypt were very tough. They survived. In general, when people pushed to the wall, like even in the Holocaust, people did many things that in the normal days they would never do. They said to, for survival, the survival instinct is stronger than everything. Then it's not a surprise they were able to give birth without anybody helping them. Continue. He made houses for them. Okay, he made houses for them. The houses of the priesthood, the Levite family, and the royal family. These are called houses, as in the verse, and he built the house of the Lord and the house of the king. The priests and the Levite family came from Yochavid, and the royal family came from Miriam, as is stated in Tractate Okay, what Rashi says, Rashi, the text says God built them houses. If I wouldn't have Rashi, houses, he gave them houses. God made sure they should have houses. Rashi takes it out on the literal meaning, and he says, no, it's not regular houses. He's talking about homes. Houses means like the house of King David, the house of, the, house of the Queen Elizabeth. You know, it's the, 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 whole, the whole family. He says, what houses they build them? From Yochevet came out, all the Levites came out from Yochevet. She was the mother of, the, of, of Aaron and Moses. They were the Levites and the Cohens. And from Miriam, Miriam married uh, Caleb, and for Miriam came out, he was from the tribe of Judah, and for Miriam came out the kings. Then from these two women, God gave them, because God gave them these two big houses, if you want. Then what you're going to discuss here, why Rashi takes out the literal meaning in two places. One place, instead of Shifra and Pua, he calls them Yochevet and Miriam. And why when he talks about the Torah says houses, he starts to give all uh, elaborated ideas. Why not the literal meaning of the word? In general, the Rebbe is to teach Rashi. Rashi is the main commentary to the Bible. Now, in, in uh, every religious place, Rashi is like a given. The Rebbe showed, the Rebbe wanted to teach how Rashi is always coming to explain the most literal way of understanding the Bible. Whenever he comes up with a new exp- explanation, it's because the literal explanation is not satis- satisfying. There is a problem here. And therefore, we must come to something deeper. Then that's, that's a discussion. I actually was there, present, and this, uh, when the Rebbe spoke about that. Do I remember it from there? Maybe one inch. But I remember to be there when the Rebbe spoke about it, yes. Okay, go ahead. 
why not Shifra and Hura? At the beginning of the Torah portion, we read about the Hebrew midwives named Shifra and Pua. Pharaoh instructed them, when you are delivering the Hebrew women on the delivery stool, if you see the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. Nevertheless, the Torah tells us that the midwives, however, feared God, and they let the boys live. As reward for the midwives' conduct, the verse states that God made houses for them. That's the summing up of what we just discussed, the whole thing. Continue. This entire story appears simple and straightforward, yet Rashi sees it necessary to comment regarding the Hebrew midwives and tell us that Shifra and Pua weren't their actual names. Rashi writes that Shifra is actually Yochebed, and she is called Shifra because she would improve Meshefer, the newborns, by cleaning them and straightening out their limbs. Pua is actually Miriam. Rashi continues and was called Pua because she coo Pua to the babies and soothes them when they cried. What compelled Rashi to depart from the literal meaning of the verse that the midwives were named Shifra and Pua and explain that these are only descriptive titles while their actual names were Yochavet and Miriam? Okay, that's question number one. Why Rashi takes out on the literal meaning and changes it to Yochavet and Miriam? Continue. The second question. Why not large families? A similar question can be asked on the next Rashi. Rashi explains that God made houses for them. Refers to the houses of priests, the priesthood, Levites, and royalty that later arose from their descendants. But what compelled Rashi to interpret this way? It would appear more straightforward to explain houses as families, as in the verse, each man and his house, which means family. The reward would be that instead of being punished by Pharaoh, they merited to establish Jewish family. You see, in general, as we see, we will quote here, the, when this passage starts, this uh, continues source to, well, then we'll discuss it. Yeah, yeah, you, you, finish. These are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. Each man in his household came. Uh, each man in his household is descendants. Uh, 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 no, one second. Each, yeah, 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 very good. I want, uh, the point is like this. The, the, be, the beginning of this book of Exodus starts with this. These are the names. Shmot, Ele Shmot. The name of the, the book is Shmot, right? Shmot me Israel, the names of Israel. And he says, Ishu beito bao, a man and his household. His household means his wife. Okay. Oh, we, they, we talked about that, I think, a week ago or two weeks ago. Then bait means the, the, a man as an apartment. The wife makes him at a house. Then, uh, then Beito Zuishto, the Talmud says. The house is the wife. I, I mentioned that then once they made a celebration for the day that the Rebbe came for, arrived to America. And they announced that in front of the Rebbe. They announced we were going to celebrate the day that the Rebbe came to the United States, from the, saved from the Holocaust in 1941. That the Rebbe added, Ishu Beito, like I didn't come by myself, I came with my wife. That if you celebrate, celebrate me and my wife came back to came, that the Rebbe used the word Beito. Beito's is the, Beito means the house means the wife. Then if Rashi says, if the Torah says I made them houses, means he made them children, he made them families, he made them big families. Why so Rashi has to take it from them came out big dynasties of uh, of Cohen's uh, uh, and Levites and kings. Why do we have to go there? Why not? Why not take the literal the literal meaning? Whenever we, t- we have to read the Bible, just.
Just read it, understand, and move on. What are you making up stories here? Why you need a deeper explanation? That's the question. Go ahead. The Rebbe, how were two midwives enough? The answer is as follows. When the five-year-old students read... When the five-year-old student, Rashi wrote, said that he writes his commentary to, to five-year-old students. It means to say to the basic student who goes to Heider and he wants to understand a little, Rashi's commentary was something that succeeded more than any other commentary in Jewish history. Because he wrote it in such a short and clear way that in three words, wherever he needed an explanation, he writes his notes and he moves on. And in Heider, in school, when you go to Heider, you learn Chumash, and then when you get a little older, you come home with a big smile. We started to learn Rashi. That's the biggest achievement that a child can have. Go ahead. I'm sorry. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Pua, a simple question comes to mind. In the previous verses, we read that the children of Israel were fruitful and swarmed and increased and became very, very strong. Rashi explains there that the women would give birth to sex tuplets. If so, how could there be only two Hebrew midwives? Two midwives in life for a whole nation? The Torah says they were multiplied. They were the movers and shakers of Egypt. It was a nation. He called two midwives, Shifra and Pua. Something doesn't add up here. Go ahead, I'm sorry. How could only two midwives handle the enormous number of births of the Jewish people who were fruitful and swarmed? This is all the more difficult to comprehend considering that they would give birth to sex tuplets. One midwife wouldn't be enough to handle such a birth, and at least two midwives would have been needed for each birth. For each birth? Then he tells two, he calls two women and says, okay, you do it for me. There must be there is something more about these midwives than just regular midwives who are just helping people to deliver babies. Can I ask a quick question? Please. It says fruitful and swarmed in quotes. That was written in... Where did they get those words? Paro vaishretzo. means swarmed, like many, many. Like it's, it's, it's in the text. It's, it's, in, the text. it's in the text. Yeah, 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 in the text. It's just not a yeah, yeah, yeah. Word. It's, it's true. That's how the Egyptian looked on the Jews. Yeah. They were like, wow. we cannot, we cannot survive here. Wherever I turn, is a Jewish kid. They're all over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's how the anti-Semites look on the Jews. That's how it was in Poland the same thing. That was in Ukraine. That, that was. The word is the one they say how it was, how unbelievable it was. We just took over the, the, the country. The Jew, the, it's written. The next word to it is that the, the, the Egyptian, they were disgusted by the Jewish people. It's not like they wanted to marry the Jewish people. They, were, they couldn't take it. It is a negative. That's how they looked of it. The Torah is describing how they how they looked of it. Yes, 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 yes. That's a good point. Okay, Debbie, you want to continue? Who needs midwives? And the other end. Go ahead. When the beginner student continues and studies the following verse, he has a question in the other direction. Pharaoh called for the Hebrew midwives and rebuked them for not implementing his decree. Why have you done this? Why have you allowed the boys to live? The midwives answered him, The Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They have the skills of a midwife. Alternately, they are like animals that don't need a midwife. And before the midwife has been arrived, they have already given birth. This raises a different question. Since the Hebrew women have the skills of a midwife, or alternately, 
they didn't need a midwife at all, and they gave birth before the midwife even arrived, why then was there a need for any Hebrew midwife at all? That, I mean, it, well, make up your mind. All two midwives are not in life, or we don't need midwives. Can they do it themselves? They don't need midwives. Must be the days in the midwife field, there is something more than just a midwife. That Rashi needed something more, it was missing something in the story. Continue. The midwife's response must certainly have been factually accurate because Pharaoh could have investigated the matter. We see the Egyptians investigate abilities later regarding the Hadith's own pregnancy that the Egyptians counted nine months and came to check if she had given birth. As a rule, people don't lie about a matter that can be checked. It means to say they couldn't stand in front of the king and tell him lies that the, that the women are having children by themselves. It was a big nation. People report, even Jews are collaborators. There is no secrets. They had to say the truth. That means, go ahead. You also think if you're delivering nowadays, if you deliver multiple babies, you often go prematurely. You don't go to nine months. So when, they sh- when the midwives show up at nine months, of course No, no, no. This, this with the showing up at the nine months is just a, is about a different story, I'll tell you. Yeah. That is... The story is that the Egyptian knew when Yochevet was supposed to give birth and, and, and Moses was born by seven months and that's how they put him in Aiden, the whole thing. Just as, just as a proof to make a point that the Egyptian knew everything, that you couldn't lie to the Egyptian. Right. But not that the midwife showed up by the ninth month. No, no, that's but not what he wants. That's the backup for when Shifra and Pua go and say they've already given birth by the time we get there. You're right. Maybe that's Maybe they had the baby, the, the maybe, oh, maybe you said maybe they delivered the babies early. That's what they want to yeah. tell a pharaoh. Then no matter how you look of it, it must be that the midwife said that it was a special type of job, of position. It wasn't a regular midwife because two are not enough or they are completely not needed. Mm-hmm. Where is the middle? What, what's going on here? Sure. Makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. Then, 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 then who needs uh, Shifra and Pua? That's a question. Then what, what was the position? That's what they're trying to understand. What was the position of Shifra and Pua? What exactly they did? Okay. You want to continue? You're right. I'm sure that women helped other women. That was a natural thing. Not only in Egypt, but in general, in Poland, in Europe, and in the olden days. Even that was, you see, it's even when Rachel gave birth to a baby, it's written, then she was dying, and the, and the midwife told her, don't worry, this is a boy too. Did you see that the concept of midwife was there from day one? But you know, every second woman can uh, give herself the authority, well, you didn't have to go to college, you get a permit from the city to become a midwife. Then it was, but the name, the concept midwife was a, a common thing already before, before the story of Egypt. 200 years before, 150 years before that. The Rebbe, reassuring the people. A simple answer can be given. There was no practical need for Hebrew midwives as the Jewish women would give birth without them. Nevertheless, they served the role of calming and reassuring the Jewish women with the knowledge that if the need arises for a midwife, there are Hebrew midwives available. They were there. said, don't worry, you left the babies. If something needs, we are like the emergency. Call 911, we are showing up. And for this, it was enough to continue. Extraordinarily righteous women 
However, considering that there was an inordinate amount of births and the extraordinary births of sex tuplets, two midwives shouldn't have sufficed to reassure the Jewish women. It must be that the Hebrew midwives weren't just regular women, but extraordinarily righteous. Then, knowing that they had such exceptional midwives, the Jewish women could be reassured. The, Jew, the, the Jewish women, this, these midwives were like rabbis. They told the Jewish women, have children. It's going to be okay. I promise you it's going to be okay. If something will be wrong, come to me. If there is a crisis, call me. But as long as there's no, go, continue to have children, it's going to work out. Must be that such women have to be of such stature, of such importance, that all the Jewish women in Egypt trusted them that if they say continue to have children, you can continue to have children. I mean, look at Miriam and her. Oh, oh exactly. Everybody out into Israel. I mean, she was. Yeah, yeah, she was the leader of the Jewish yeah. people. Yeah, very good. You're right. We'll, we'll discuss it in a minute, but go ahead. Who were they? Thus, a straightforward reading of the verses bears out that the Hebrew midwives were exceptionally righteous people, but we still don't know who they were. It can't be that the midwives were actually women named Shifra and Pua, because we don't know of any righteous women by those names. We don't find in the Bible any Shifra and Pua. That must be something is there. Must be some very righteous people. Therefore, Therefore, Rashi relies on the tradition transmitted in the Midrash that the midwives were Yocheved and Miriam, who were called Shifra and Pua, as a description of their actions. Rashi does this because it is untenable to explain that these were regular women named Shifra and Pua, as the midwives must have been exceptionally righteous women. Yocheved, the mother of Moses, and Miriam, the sister of Moses, who stood by the water to save him. These are women that the whole nation knew them. You need to understand, Moses' father was Amram. Amram was the leader of the Jewish people. He was the rabbi in Egypt. And his wife, they were everything. And that's when you know the famous story that Amram, when they decree, we're not going to learn the it, but in the parsha of this week, decree from Pharaoh, the next step after he didn't work with the midwives, he says, just take all the baby boys and throw them into the river. Why he said it? Because his astrologers told them that a Jewish boy is going to be born and he's going to be the redeemer of the Jewish people. And he said to all the Jewish babies, what Amram did, Amram, Moses' father, it was before Moses was born. Before Moses was, before she was pregnant with Moses. He says, what? We're going to kill all the Jewish babies? I don't need it. He divorced his wife. He divorced Yochevet. He said, no more babies. It was an act towards God to say, God, we are not going to take it. If Amram divorces Yochevet, Everybody divorces his wife. Who needs, who needs children? And the men don't want their children to be thrown into the river. Miriam came and told them, you are worse than Pharaoh. Miriam was a young girl. She came to her father and she told him, she had like a prophecy, she had like an instinct. She said, Pharaoh tomorrow can die and the decree will be gone. You, because when people divorce their wives, will for sure not be babies. Then she told them, Pharaoh decreed only on the boys. You, by not by divorcing your wife, will be no boys and no girls, be no Jews. Then she gave him a prophecy. She told him, I have a feeling that mom will give the birth to this. He's afraid of the of the redeemer of the Jewish people. This is going to be right here. Amram, the great rabbi, listened to his little girl. See what it is? Sometimes you have to listen to your little girl. 
and, and, and that shows us the power of women. They can change the whole history. If not for Miriam, Moses wouldn't be born. She insisted her father should have another child, and he listened to her, and he remarried his wife, Yochavet. Then you see that this house that came out from it, these great people, was very, these people, women were not just regular women. They were women, they were holy women. And they told all the rest of the women in Egypt, don't worry, have children. We promise you it's going to be good. And the Jewish women had this faith in them that they are so righteous and connected to God that things will work out. They were not regular midwives. That's, what, that's why Rashi comes and says, two midwives, maybe there is something special about them. If not, would write, he called the midwives. Why are you giving them names? Who cares? Two, five. He called the midwives and he told them. Obviously, there was not regular midwives. And therefore, they had the, they had the chutzpah, the best proof that they were righteous. They were ready to risk their life in front of the superpower of the world, the biggest dictator that ever existed. You know, in front of Pharaoh's palace, it's written later, by the end of this parsha, Moses, God told Moses to go to take the elders of Israel and go to Pharaoh and tell them, let my people go. It's written. He gathered the elders, the leaders, and said, let's go to Pharaoh. Everybody's going. Then it comes to Pharaoh. They enter to Pharaoh. It's written, Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh. Where is the rest of them? They disappeared. You know why? Because in front of Pharaoh's palace, there were piles of limbs, hands, legs, heads, you came into Pharaoh, you come out in pieces. Then all the big elders of, of uh, Israel, you know, one person said he has an appointment. The other person says he has a stomachache. The third one said he's very tired. The third one said his wife called them emergency. When he came to Pharaoh, Moses and Aaron looked at each other. There was nobody around. And Moses told to Pharaoh, Moses told to Aaron, we have no choice. God told us we are going no matter what. You need to understand, to this Pharaoh, the two midwives stood up to. He told them to do something. They didn't want to do it. That tells you what means righteousness. Righteousness is not saying Psalms a whole day. Righteousness is when you are ready to give your life on behalf of, the Jew, of another Jew. That's righteousness. To risk your own life. Righteousness, in the Holocaust, you saw who is the real righteous person. There were many righteous people who were praying all day when the push came to shove. They were not there to do what they need to do. And they were simple Jews who never did anything. They were ready to risk their life. Then righteousness is, is a whole different. Righteousness is that I am ready to sacrifice. Now, it doesn't have to be every time sacrifice my life. I'm ready to sacrifice for another person, for another Jew. They were ready to die for, for the Jewish people. They didn't know what our Pharaoh's reaction is going to be. Okay, then we answer the question, why it's Shifra and Pua is Yochevet and Miriam? Why, now we're going to discuss the second question. Why, when he says God built houses for them, it, do, it doesn't learn the literal meaning he built houses for them, but he says it's much more than that. Okay, who's supposed to read now? Go ahead. You read? Then I oh. just did. Oh, right. I did. Okay, I'm sorry. The greatest reward. In conclusion, Rashi explains that the reward the Hebrew midwives received was houses of the priesthood, Levites, and royalty. Rashi can't explain that God made houses for them. It means simply that why establish... What? That didn't make sense. Rashi can't explain... That You're right. You're right. It's missing a word there. As usual, that's my job also is to... I have, I have somebody here in the Sunday class who is correcting things. I guess... 
To establish fa uh, big families. Yeah, Pauline. Yeah. This wouldn't be an appropriate reward for the actions of the midwives for saving the male babies. Raising a family was a natural part of life for all Jews, and at that time, it was even natural to give birth to sex tuplets. Yeah, obviously, they're a family. Why she shouldn't have a family? I mean, it's not written that you have it at six tuplets, but to have three children is not a big achievement. I never heard that before. Is that common? Did you hear that before? Sex tuplets, lots of them? Over the classes, basically. Well, you probably hear that. But you know, I take many I times, I take for granted that people know already everything because I'm teaching everything for so many years. But, but it's good, you see, that's why we learned today this. Well, I heard it this time. <laughs> exactly, you bet. <laughs> it can't be suggested that raising a family was a special reward for the midwives because it was expected that Pharaoh would punish them and deny them this possibility. As explained, Pharaoh had accepted the explanation given by the midwives that the Hebrew women are unique and give birth without assistance. So there was no reason for him to punish them. Rashi is therefore compelled to explain that the reward of God made houses for them refers to houses of the priesthood, Levites, and royalty. Rashi brings support for this interpretation from another verse in the Torah where a dynasty is referred to as a house. Solomon built the two houses, the temple of the Lord and the king's house. King's house means the king's house, the king's family. That's what it means. That house means a family. Rashi then specifies that the priestly and Levite families descended from Yochaved and the royal family descended from Miriam, as explained in Tractate Sota. Okay. What you learn here is something very interesting. Then because Rashi comes up with an idea that God built them houses is more than regular houses. He says, as it's written in the Tractate of Sota. What's written in the Tractate of Sota is something very interesting. There's a concept in Judaism that's called Midah Keneged Midah. Measure for measure. God's system works in bad and in good, measure for measure. Why? Because if God wants you to change something, let's say I speak Loshanora. Let's say, just for an example, just as an hypothetical concept. I never do this, but let's say it would be then God wants me to speak to stop speaking Loshonora. If he gives me a stomachache, I will not know that I stop to speak Loshonora. That if, if I have a cancer in my mouth, that maybe there is a chance I start to think, oh, why is my mouth hurting me? Maybe God wants for me something. God doesn't want to punish people. God wants to send messages as consequences. That God created the system that should work, that if your car breaks down, Maybe you didn't take your mother to the doctor. You understand? That's the way it works. God wants to leave you. We see it in countless stories. For example, there's a famous story about the first Chabad Rebbe, and he was arrested, and he was taken to jail into St. Petersburg in a famous, in a black chariot, a black uh, wagon. And he turned to the officer and he told him, it's Friday, it's Friday. I, want, I don't want to drive on Shabbat. Tell them, you're a prisoner here. What are you thinking? He drove a little bit. One of the acts of the, the, of the wagon broke. He fixed it. Another thing broke. He fixed it too. A horse died. He replaced the horse. Finally, it start, the, the horses that started to get uh, uh, the weather changed, they, they got scared and they stopped. Then he says, you know what? This man is a righteous man. I better listen to him. What really happened? It was not a punishment. It was messages. 
God doesn't want you to drive to, he does, this righteous man doesn't want to do it. It's not going to happen. One thing didn't work, another thing. Then the whole idea of measure for measure is built in such a way, in a good and a bad way. What the Torah says, give master, give tithing, give money, and you'll get 10 times more. Give money for charity, you get 10 times more. I just heard a video from a woman who tells about her father. It was in 57, I mean, in 1958, the Rebbe made a, a Purim celebration, Purim for bringing, he made a, a campaign for Far Chabad in Israel to build their uh, school for uh, vocational school in Chabad, in Far Chabad for secular Jewish children. There will be a vocational school. They come today, they will be, they will be get Yiddish Kaitu. The Rebbe made a fundraising. And he says everyone should write how much he's going to give in a note. Write his name outside of the note. He said, and the Rebbe said, I'll open it. And I will say, if I agree with what you decided, or I, I think you should give more. Then the interview woman, she says about her father, was a big philanthropist of, of the Rebbe. And he gave a lot of money. And he told the story later, to his, she remembers that. He gave a number, he put a number more than he can. He decided because the Rebbe spoke very hard. And then you hear the, the, then you hear the tape, the Rebbe says, David Deitch should give 10 times as much. Nobody else knew what. Nobody. The Rebbe opens it. That's it. And he was, I think, in the, I think he was in the business of uh, wallpaper or something like this. I don't remember the whole story. And she said that her mother, his wife, used to always tell him, give, give, give. Better be the givers than the takers. He comes home. He tells, tells the story to his wife. I, 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 I. She tells him, absolutely. You have to give the rabbit told you to give. What's the question even? He went. He took a loan. He took a loan. And he came the next day to the rabbit's office. And he gave the secretary the money. Finished. Says a short time... Some company went out of business. Something happened. They bought a full, a full truck of rope. I think it was rope paper. I don't remember what. And he made what he was made in 10 times, much more than he ever made before. Then this is, what I mean to say is, in charity it's written, it's measure for measure. Then it's not only in charity, it's about everything in Judaism. The best example is again in this parsha. I don't know, I told my brother to put it in as a source. He didn't listen to me. Not always listening to me. What should I do? <laughs> Let him hear it. <laughs> then uh, then uh, the Rebbe brings the source in the talk, in one of the talks. The Rebbe says, when God tells Moses, go to Pharaoh and tell him, my firstborn son Israel is, a, is by you in Egypt. Let my firstborn son Israel go out from Egypt. If not... I will kill you, firstborn son. Measure for measure, right in the Bible, in the text. Why God killed the firstborn son? Why not the youngest? Why not the middle? Why not the daughter? It goes, because he called the Jewish people my firstborn son, therefore, it said, you, I'll kill you, firstborn son. If you. Then this concept of measure for measure is established right in the text, and then you see it in many, many other places. And also we'll see it in good things with, with, in the tractate of Sota. We'll read now source number three, who brings three uh, examples how measure for measure worked in, a good, worked in a good way. And it's about this portion, about Miriam, it's about the whole the same story. Go ahead. The same is so with regard to the good deeds. Miriam waited for Moses for one hour as it is stated, and his sister stood at a distance. 
Therefore, the Jewish people delayed themselves in the desert for seven days for her, as it is stated. And the people did not journey until Miriam was brought back in. Right, Miriam waited for Moses by the water for an hour. Shoachas, one hour, whatever it was, a time. And then, do you know the story later that Miriam was speaking, Loshenore and Moses, that she said she doubted why Moses separated from his wife. And God was upset with Miriam, and she became leprosy. She got leprosy. And she had to be quarantined for seven days. Now we know what quarantine is. Big time. Even quarantine was even canceled in China yesterday. Then, then the whole nation, what would be the normal thing? Then the clouds of glory moved on. It was in the desert. Whenever the clouds of glory moved on, it was a sign to move on. But here is Miriam. They can leave a minion with Miriam. 50 people to protect them. They will move on after the Jews. The whole nation waited for seven days until Miriam was recovered. And then they, tra- the, and then they traveled, they moved on. Then the Talmud says, why Miriam deserved it? Measure for measure. Because she was waiting for Moses for an hour. The whole nation, 600,000 men, double with women and children, million, a, a, two, almost 2 million people were waiting for Miriam for seven days, not for an hour. That you see the concept of measure for measure. The next one. Continue. Joseph merited to buy, bury his father, and there was none among his brothers greater than he, as it is stated. And Joseph went up to bury his father, and there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. In turn, no one had a greater burial than Joseph, as Moses himself was personally involved in transporting him. See, Joseph, when Jacob died, we talked to Joseph. Joseph was the leader. Joseph buried his father. What was his reward? When he asked to be buried in Israel, when they left Egypt, who remembered that Joseph asked to be buried? He asked his bones to be taken to Israel? Moses. While everybody else was busy with many other good things, to collecting uh, the, shlep, the church case and all the things to go out from Egypt, the gold and the silver, Moses was busy looking for Joseph's coffin and taking it all the way. Yeah. Can I ask a question? Please. So I feel like... In Maybe I'm not correct, but I feel like I remember last week in the Parsha, it talked about how they knew when they put Joseph in a coffin, it was a sign that they were going to also be brought out. Did I read this? You read it somewhere. So do we, or maybe it was in one of the... the You read it one of the the place. So did we not bury in, did they not bury in coffins or something? So, But the fact that it was a coffin meant he was ready, and he was going to be thrown into that, but he was ready for transport. That was a sign to the Jews? That was a sign. This that he was put in a coffin in Egypt, buried in Egypt. It's not about the coffin. It's about being buried in Egypt. It was a source of support, of comfort. That's what I said in the beginning. That's what you read. It was a source of comfort. Yeah, he said, no, yeah, he said, please take me with you when you're leaving Egypt. And and that was a source. He didn't ask to be taken to to Israel right now, right when he died. He said, I'm staying with you, and when you will go out, then you know, in the worst time of enslavement, a child asked his father, who told you they will ever go out of Egypt? He said, Joseph was ready to be buried there in Egypt because he knows one day will go out. If Joseph was so sure about that, obviously we're going to go out one day. Then this helped. This was a source, a source of comfort, yeah. But who remembered? 2010, I mean, 130 years later after Joseph died, the Jews are finally leave Egypt. You can imagine the balagan, the chaos, the tumult, the humult, the whole. 
leaving Egypt. Everybody is schlepping his things quick, quick, and Pharaoh is chasing the Jews out of Egypt, and the Egyptians want them out as soon as possible. Moses is busy with wanting, yes, yes, where are you going? Why are you running around, Moses? You have to lead the whole nation. Oh, Joseph said he wants, he died 130 years ago. Who cares? We have to go out from Egypt. He killed. Uh, I feel like I have two conflicting stories in my head. Okay. No. I think I've also heard there's a water story. Yeah, there's a water story. That's the story. The it was, they, they put him in the Nile. The Egyptian knew that Moses, the Joseph made his brothers promise him that they will, that before they leave Egypt, they'll take him. That they said that's the best way to ensure that, that the Jews will never leave Egypt. We'll take Joseph, we put him in the Nile River, and finished. Then the Medrash says Moses came to the Nile River and said, he didn't even know where he is buried. He went to ask the old lady who lived many years. She remembered. She says, yeah, he's in the Nile. Came to the Nile and made an announcement. He said, Moses, jo- Joseph, Joseph, the time of the Jews has come, has come. If you show up, fine. If not, we're leaving. Now, Moses was very known to give ultimatums to God, to Joseph, to everybody. Then, and then the coffin started to come out miraculously to show up to, uh, underwater. And he took the coffin and he carried the coffin within four years in the desert. They were not in the desert, two weeks. Now you need to understand, Moses himself did not bury Joseph because he never made it to the land of Israel. The Jews took him to the Israel, but Moses was busy with them almost until the land of Israel. It's interesting. It's a similar story because it's a similar story because it's saying, Jews are not going to leave until they take Joseph. Or Moses was thinking he was there because he want, Joseph wanted to be very there with his people. And same thing, Moses didn't want to go to Israel because he knew some people were being left. There's a lot of stories why yes, he didn't go. Yes, yeah, yeah. But it just reminds me of the story that he really didn't go to Israel because there's so many people left behind. Just, yeah, yeah, that's the Rebbe's explanation, yeah. There's this, this comparison. The, yeah, the underneath. But we never complete that. Where is Joseph? Joseph is buried in Nablus, Shechem, in Israel. Moses is buried in the desert, right, before the Jews entered. Right. Then really, it's written... It's written in the Bible, in the book of Joshua, the Jews buried Joseph, not Moses. Because they finished the, they finished the job. And from this, the, the Talmud learns that whoever finished the mitzvah, the mitzvah goes in his name. Think about that. They're building a synagogue. It's so common in Israel. A building, they build the old building. There is no money to finish it. The building stands for 15 years. Then comes Mr. Josh Moore and gives a million dollars and they finish the building. Who do you think gets the name of the building? Because, because a building of $3 million, nothing will help you, right? If you cannot use it, it's worthless. A mitzvah, the person, Moses stepped Joseph's bones for four years, but he never finished the job. That it goes and it, it's written, the Jewish people buried Joseph. That's a good lesson, a by the way lesson for us. You do something, finish the mitzvah. Don't if I have a job, though, because then you, you lose all the credit. The person who is coming, doing the last thing, he gets the credit for the whole thing, because until the last thing, you cannot do anything with it. Like the tenth man during your speech. Exactly, the tenth man to the minion. Nine Jews are all nice and fine. They're all cute and beautiful. <laughs> but if there is no number ten... Why did they bury him there? They didn't need... I mean, why, why in Shechem? Good question, because Jacob... First, two things. Jacob bought a piece of land in Shechem, and he gave it to Joseph. And also, where was 
Joseph sold it. Where was he thrown into a pit? In Shechem. That he came back to the same place. Everything is creepy though. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the only thing. Okay, continue. There is, yeah, go ahead. Moses. Moses merited to be involved in the transportation of Joseph's bones, and there was none among the Jewish people greater than he, as it is stated. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. No one had a greater burial than Moses, as God himself performed his burial. As it is stated, and he briefly buried, oh no, and he buried him in the valley. Who is he? God. Not only with regard to Moses did the sages say this, but also with regard to all the righteous individuals, as it is stated. Your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall gather you in. It was because the midwives feared God that he made them houses. Rab and Shmuel disagree. One says that God made the houses of the priesthood and the Levites descend from the midwives, and one says that God made the houses of royalty to send from And Rashi takes both opinions. But again, what the, what the point is, it's measure for measure. Because they established the Jewish people, therefore God gave them also something much bigger than ours, than just three children in a family. He gave them dynasties that will exist forever and ever. Go ahead. To underscore the advantage of this explanation, Rashi references Tractate Sota, the relevant Talmudic source there directly follows the discussion of the Mishnah's teaching people of measure with the same measure that they use. The Talmudic discussion includes examples of rewards and punishments and correlate with every detail of business conduct. I didn't bring you the punishments. You would die. That's why I, 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 we call out the punishment. We want only the good things. This highlights the advantage of the interpretation that houses refers to the priestly, Levite, and royal dynasties. This interpretation doesn't only express the greatness of the reward, it also shows how the reward was measure for measure corresponding to the actions of the midwives in every detail. By allowing the male babies to live, the midwives didn't only help establish Jewish families, they helped build most, if not all, of the generations of the exodus, the ancestors of Jewish people, of all subsequent... They made sure that there would be a nation to go out from Egypt. They went around and encouraged women to have children. They said, don't worry, it's going to work out. Then because they made sure we'll be the next generation, we'll be a Jewish people, God said, God gave them measure for measure. Continue the last paragraph. The midwives therefore received a reward that was precisely measure for measure. Not only did the personally, they personally raise families or bear children who were priests, Levites, and kings, they merited to establish houses of people, Levites, and royalty. These special dynasties exist within Jewish people for all time. Then, go ahead. I was going to say, I wonder because of this, they were also given special names. Like, was given Israel as a special name, that this is... Yeah, because, could be the special name came because they were so busy with making sure the children, have, that the Jewish people have baby, they were much bigger than that. And that's why they got rewards. She was the, the mother of all the Kohens and all the Levites. All the way till today. And, 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 uh, and uh, Miriam is the mother of kingdom. Moshiach comes out from Miriam. That's what it is. Thank you for joining.